It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. It's basketball time to kill. Love picks up Curry. The shoot around. Hi, everybody. Donovan Mitchell is a Cavalier, and we had an instant reaction episode, which you should check out. Mitchell brings a lot to the table, which we were both excited about, but we also wanted to see what his addition means for the rest of the team. Yeah, not only the squad, Adam, but the organization. We will get into the true impact of what his acquisition means for the Cavs. So it seems like a lot of folks are concerned about the Knicks with the Cavs making this move. Why is the rest of the NBA so obsessed with this storyline that the Knicks or Utah is more important than the Cavaliers? I mean, you and I have talked a lot about just the bias to the coastal teams. Obviously, New York is the largest, if not the second largest, you know, media market in the country. And so I would say that that's probably the biggest reason why there's a bias and the fact that Mitchell is supposedly from the area and there was kind of some flirtation with Mitchell and the organization during this offseason. So that's probably the biggest reason. I mean, is there anything else I'm missing? No, I think it's basically a twofold problem, as you say, that the, the attention of the media is always on the places where they are or the yeah. cities that they'd rather go to when they have to travel for the games. And as far as, as, far as the storyline of you know, another player hopefully wanting to come back to their hometown to play, gosh, you know, it all comes back from the LeBron decision, right? It has to go back to that. And it would be wonderful if people would let it go. You know, most people don't have this affinity, this idea that going home and playing for their home team means anything at all. And I think it's kind of the hot thing to say because it's just a way to market yourself. It's a way to say, yeah, I would love to go play for them. It's just another change of focus in how it's explained. So overall, I, yeah. I'm not surprised that the Cavaliers are the least important part of this storyline. That's why we have a podcast, because we feel like the general media never covers the Cavaliers the way that they should. Yeah, it's it's always been, especially in this particular story, it's couched in a, hey, this was a good move for the Cavs. Oh, but what's up with the Knicks? They lost out on this player again. Man, they're such a debacle. And it's just a little, it's old and stale after a while because the Knicks have not been a great organization for a while. So I don't understand why it's kind of beating, you know, beating a dead horse. Yeah. 
And then it's on the other side, it's Utah. And what are they going to do with all those picks? And, oh, how are they going to build a future? You've got a team in the, in the Cavaliers right now that has just done that. Yeah. Gone through years of assembling picks and building the team. You've got the storyline. It's right in front of your face. Oh, yeah, it's in Cleveland. You don't care. <laughs> Chris Feeder of Cleveland.com detailed how Kobe Altman's relationship with Jazz GM Justin Zanuck led to the trade not being shut down. Does Altman deserve more credit for this roster from the media and the NBA community? So in listening to everybody's takes and reactions to the Cavaliers getting Donovan Mitchell, there was a name that I felt was absent in a lot of the discussion, and that was Kobe Altman. I think Kobe, you and I have talked about it, Kobe has done a phenomenal job as the head of personnel and player acquisition for the Cavaliers. There's a reason why he's president of basketball operations and why he was the only GM who was re-upped uh, as opposed to other GMs in the past in recent history with the Cavs who has, they haven't re-upped. So I'm really happy that Altman is working for us and the Cavs but I do wish that he got more credit from the media as a whole, from the rest of the basketball community, in really because of the fact that he's doing something that the Cavaliers struggled with the first time LeBron left and uh, what the Bulls have struggled with when Jordan left. He is infusing this young team with talent very quickly in a way that really hasn't been seen because this organization had a once in a generation talent twice and he is having to kind of come back from that rise out of the ashes with that a little note what is really fascinating and interesting about the trade is there's actually a link to the Kyrie Irving trade because in that Kyrie Irving trade, they got the pick that they then used for Colin Sexton. So he's been able to use this bargaining chip. He's been able to use other cachet to actually get a player who puts the Cavs back on the map. And it links all the way back to a disgruntled point guard that was you know, frustrated with his situation and, you know, being rumored to being traded back when LeBron was here to now making this team a top five, top four team in the East. I mean, that's just phenomenal. That's unheard of in my mind. And it's only talked about really amongst Cavaliers fans, so, you know, so it's, it's a little, it's, kind of astounding that he isn't talked about more all great points that you've that you've covered i think that you know kobe altman is a success story in the nba that if he was the gm uh, or that now the president of basketball operations of the los angeles lakers or the new york knicks um we would be hearing about him every day because the stuff that he has done is so impressive especially at his age. The guy is our age. He's 39 years old. He turns 40 next week. Happy birthday, Kobe. 
it's um it's absolutely impressive beyond words that he's been able to turn this organization around in such a short period of time especially when you stop and consider what other rebuilds have looked like in the history of this franchise even the most recent one with the Kyrie Irving Dion Waiter Waiters years what a nightmare that was um <laughs> Obviously, Dan, Gilbert, and others within the organization have learned some lessons throughout the ages, and I, I don't think it's just Kobe that is doing a good job over there. But I wanted to point out just some things that I think has made his success, because as anything in life, it's uh, some of it is a little bit of luck, or how the accumulation of your um, your accomplishments kind of reads out and in the first year or so of him starting out in the position of GM it was a little quiet he was shuffling some things around he he had a lot of pieces that didn't quite fit without a LeBron on the team so he needed to kind of start from scratch and what I'm impressed by and these are some things I wrote down here he took over in uh, July of 2017, that was that was his first major signing. Was July of 2017. Um, on October 15th of 2018, he acquired Nance Jr. Larry Nance Jr. I think that was the beginning of this great success story that we know today. Um, it was the right move for. The organization because it was instantly a fan favorite that we needed. We needed somebody other than love to, to root for. And the fact that his dad had such a great history here, you know, you're going to love any um, offspring of a person like that that comes in. And he touts Cleveland as being, you know, one of the best places he's ever been and he wanted to be here his whole career. So that was just such a, a wonderful choice from a fan perspective. But it also seemed to be a pretty solid choice for a locker room perspective as well. Because he really seemed to be a decent glue for such a young player. For a guy to come in and say, no, 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 this, this team has a great pedigree. It's got a great history. You should love being a Cavalier. His love for the Cavs was infectious. So that was a huge deal. Then on October 28th, he fired Ty Lue. Which, you know, so about two weeks later, he got rid of the coach that it would have been easy to say, listen, this guy's got us a championship. He's a championship coach. And he's had winning records the whole time he's been here. We should let him ride the storm. But instead, he, he made that move. Now, it took him a minute to find the replacement, the correct replacement. But on February 19th he, uh, of 2019, he appointed Bickerstaff head coach. So that's another major milestone because I think it's probably the best head coach we've had, especially for mm -hmm. player personnel and all of that. Probably the best head coach we've had in our time of watching the Cavaliers. On January 13th of 2021, he traded for Allen, mm -hmm. which we've talked a lot on this podcast, was another example of the media not caring that the Cavs were making a huge splash um, and instead paid more attention to the coast team that got the aging player. Um, and then finally, on, jo on July 29th of 2021, 
he he acquired, he drafted Evan Mobley. And all of these yeah. things, there were so many things in between that mattered too, and I'm not trying to leave those things out. But yeah. he's consistently had multi-trades in one season. He's consistently moved players, moved money. Um, he's never stopped reorganizing, you know, um, finding a, a, a new path for this team. It's, he's never satisfied. Mm-hmm. And each thing that I've laid out, granted, it had to kind of fall on his lap in some cases. He didn't create Bickerstaff. He didn't create Mobley. Like, he has to have these people come in, and they have to be available to him. But he's done a great job of identifying the needs of this team from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. And what I've highlighted here are just some of his best hits. Just mm-hmm. unbelievable uh, uh, short run of luck and hard work in the last three years to build this team out. And now with the final piece being Mitchell, uh, yeah. a player that has Jordan-esque numbers, a player that if he was acquired by any other organization just about in the league, would we'd be hearing yeah. every day that being the major headline. But like we said at the top of the, of the show – it's more about Utah's future and the Knicks' lack of one. Yeah. Yeah, I also think you hit the nail on the head there with the word satisfied. That Kobe could have, you know, replayed it back. He could have kept the roster the same and gone into this next season with what we had last year. Basically, we were lined up to do that. You know, brought Sexton in kept Ochai and just seen, you know, he could have seen what happened, but he wasn't satisfied with how last year ended. And I think he does a really good job in his press conferences of, he doesn't come across as a guy who is overly frustrated or upset with, you know, how things end up, but clearly he's tenacious enough and understands that talent is what wins out in the NBA and Donovan Mitchell is a top 30. He's a top 30 level talent in the NBA. And that's hard to get for a team like the Cavaliers. And so that's why he went out and made this trade because he wasn't satisfied with being in the play-in and didn't like the idea of fighting for the play-in again, because this team should not be fighting for the plan. They should be fighting for, you know, a top six and up spot. With three players now gone in this trade, who from the bench needs to step up? Well, I think dissecting it, breaking it down for what we lost, it would be Mitchell and Sexton is basically a one-to-one trade. And hopefully you're going to get more, um, especially for how much you gave up and, how much you're going to have to pay him in the end. Laurie Markkinen played small forward for us, and I don't think contributed too often at the power forward position. They had a hard time rotating him inside and having him play down low more often. Um, so I don't, I think, as we stated in the Donovan Mitchell reaction episode, you're looking at small forward being the most open-ended question right now on the team, um, especially for the starting position. Do they put Karis Levert there 
do they put Okoro there like he was there in the uh, in his rookie year? With Ochai Abaji, you know, he probably would have played that shooting guard small forward position, that that swing position into uh, into that spot. And he was that stop and pop spot up shooter, uh, that wing player that we've been looking for for the last couple of years. Or at least that's how he was described. And so if we still feel that we need that, that's obviously something that that's a role somebody needs to step up and play. And I think you and I are hoping that Isaac Okuro will take that next leap. His sophomore slump was a little disappointing, but I think it was him trying to find a new role on the roster, especially with the fact that they took him out of the starting lineup and moved him into the bench. It was just a different year for, for Isaac. And if he can step up and truly become that player that they envisioned him to be, we're going to be an unbelievable basketball team. Because mm-hmm. he's only 21 years old, but he should be progressing further and further into his prime. Mm-hmm. We should be seeing a real step forward the way that we did with Garland, the way that we did with Sexton. Akuro has never been advertised to be to have that kind of future necessarily. But I think the people that are high on him do believe that that is still a possibility. And mm-hmm. um, so I would say Isaac Okoro for me has to step up because of the fact that Ochai is gone. Laurie is gone. And it's just time. It's just mm-hmm. it's that moment in his career that it, he needs to do it. So that would be my answer for now. How about you? I mean, I definitely believe in Isaac. I also agree that he does need to step up more. He showed that he was slightly better offensively last year and still worked really hard on the defensive end and is a great point-of-attack defender. The other guy I think that I hope steps up is Dean Wade. Dean Wade is kind of an afterthought by a lot of national media. There are some basketball beat writers who are more familiar with his work, but Wade is a player who kind of fits in the mold that what you just outlined. He's a power forward slash small forward. He's more of a quick twitch player. He has that lateral quickness as opposed to Kevin Love. Kevin Love's lateral quickness is probably close to mine, and he's a professional basketball player. So I think Wade has the ability to slot in as a backup small forward, maybe start occasionally depending on the opponent and the size that you're dealing with and still contribute. And of all the guys on the bench, he's probably the guy outside of if Jetty's having a super hot night and love, I mean, love's a historic shooter. So I'm tossing him out of there because love is just without question. He's the possibly the best shooter on the team behind Darius is I would say that Dean Wade is that pop and stop shooter. He's the guy who can, you can get in the corner, you can have him come off of screens and he'll be able to rise up and hit a shot when you need it. And so I'm hoping that he comes back from his injury and really steps up and is just more consistent 
and contributing in a more timely way. I think he got a little lost in the shuffle last season because he wasn't playing as much because they were slightly healthier compared to the season before. So I just hope he takes advantage of the time he has on the floor. And it's kind of the other reason why I love this trade is it helps guys like Dean Wade and Lamar Stevens get back on the floor. You and I talked about, we were really concerned that Lamar and Dean Wade might have just been like reserve players going into the season because they were so deep. They would have been the 13th or 14th player. Now they're closer to maybe the 10th or 11th best player. So they should get just as many minutes as they did last year, if not more. So Wade is my selection. Yeah, I agree. Kevin Love doesn't need to step up. He did. And I don't know what he has left in the tank for the remainder of his career. So as long as he continues to come out and shoot as efficiently as he did last season, I think that's all we can really hope for. And I know another player that I'm kind of interested to see how he makes a difference on this roster is Robin Lopez. Because I think, um, you know, just hearing from what some of the other guys have said about what Love's veteran leadership and his understanding of the game has brought to to them um it's exciting to bring another vet like him onto the team to kind of show guys like evan mobley and others you know best practices how to, how yeah to do it right. for sure i also love that lopez is a giant of a human we have evan and we have uh and we have jared allen but lopez is even larger which is yeah. just crazy so he can hopefully deal with some of the wear and tear and deal with Joel Embiid and other larger centers, which will be helpful. The final seconds. Do you think JB is up for the task in dealing with an established star? So obviously we talked about Kobe Altman a lot. One thing that we have mentioned in the past about him is he does have a really good relationship with JB. So I'm certain that JB knew that Donovan Mitchell was going to get traded to the Cavs before anyone else. And I would assume that JB has some type of rapport either with Mitchell's representation or other players that Mitchell has played with, most notably Ricky Rubio. Uh, Ricky Rubio played for the Jazz a while ago, and he and Mitchell really connected. So I think that's kind of JB's in, is that he can really see how Mitchell takes to the floor, takes to his coaching style, and most importantly, we'll be able to see how he interacts with Rubio to make sure that everybody's kind of on the same page, everything's copacetic. So I think that JB can handle the job because he has the support structure around him in having other veteran players like Ricky Rubio. Yeah. I think JB and his team are up for the challenge for sure. We've had other players uh, first comes to mind is Kevin Porter jr. That were problematic on the team. Now that didn't, that didn't have a great outcome, but I think it was handled right. And um, the hope is that Donovan Mitchell is not going to be a problem. Um, a problem for the the chemistry, the team chemistry, the organization yeah. as a whole. Um, he had his issues in Utah. Let's hope it was just because of those 
particulars in Utah. And, um, and you know, it's a totally different makeup of the team, totally yeah. different egos and all of that. I think that the Cavs have done a great job of assembling a group of guys that just love playing basketball and therefore they love playing together. And it seems like just about anybody they've brought in over the last two seasons, they, they can fit right in because of that um, welcoming culture. So as long as Mitchell comes in with the right attitude and he's mm-hmm. excited to be a Cavalier and understands that Sexton was a little bit of a glue guy and actually you know, provided some of that leadership that they needed, he needs to understand that he's got to fill that role as well. So Bickerstaff is going to be guiding him in that way. And as long as they don't butt heads, it should be fine. Are the expectations too high for Mobley with this signing? The expectations for Mobley are beyond the stratosphere. And that's because of how talented he is. It's clear what he's capable of now. So what could he be in five, 10 years? What is the entirety of his uh, career going to look like? Adding a piece like Mitchell to a person like Mobley is like giving Shaq to Kobe. You know, like there may be not a one-to-one, but you want a more veteran guy in the league, but not too far. Somebody that's coming into their prime, teaming up with the future of your organization. And that is what Evan Mobley is. Barring catastrophic injury or some other you know, act of God, please let that not happen. Um, Evan Mobley is a future Hall of Famer. He's a future all-star. So pairing him with another one of those is only a good thing. For sure. I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast reacting to this, and he and Ryan Rosillo were even adding this caveat of having Evan Mobley and Tim Duncan in the same sentence. That's a huge you know accomplishment and basically they were talking about how Duncan when he came out and went to the Spurs he went to a situation that really supported him he went to a really talented team because the Spurs had won 50 games the previous season and Evan Mobley is in a similar situation where you know if we can actually get as much talent around him and let him play the way he is able to play, all that does is make him even better. And like what you said, his this beyond the sky, the stratosphere is the limit for him. And I'm just happy that the Cavs understand that and are taking it seriously and want his talent and his star to rise further than we can even imagine. Do you think Garland will play off ball more this season? I definitely think that Darius could play more off ball in a similar situation like what we saw when Rubio would get on the floor with him last year because I think Donovan Mitchell can handle the rock. He knows how to pass. He knows how to read a defense and to make sure that guys get open. And so I think that Darius being off ball more might unlock the offense even more than we can think of just just by adding Donovan Mitchell, but having Darius come off screens more and come off curls more. So yeah, I definitely see him 
playing more of that two-yard role during certain offensive yeah, possessions. Yeah, the Sexland envisioned thing that the Cavs were trying to do was was that, that one player could be hot and the other one you know feeds them the ball and they just kind of go back and forth that way. And um, there's no reason to believe that it's not going to go that, that that idea, that concept is not going to now go to 11 because Mitchell is is a better shooter. He's a better scorer than Sexton. Not by a lot, but it matters. You know, um, three, four buckets here and there makes a huge difference. And the fact that the guy can put up 50 when he wants to. Um, Garland will have a lot of opportunity now to not be hyper-focused on. And this last season, that's because Sexton was out. He was the guy mm-hmm. that everybody was kind of scheming for. And that was what was so brilliant and why he deserved the, the contract that he got. He stepped up to not only the fact that he needed to make that leap, but that he also uh, faced some pretty big adversity into his third year. So the, um, yeah, this is nothing but good news for him and, and the fact that he's, he should he should see probably five or six more points added to his point total. Did we mortgage too much of our future to get Mitchell? Well, this was something that I heard around town, and maybe I even felt it at first read of what we were giving up. We went over in the previous reaction episode kind of what we thought about each individual person and pick and their value for this organization. My mind hasn't changed that the three first round picks don't mean anything when you're trying to go deep into the playoffs or frankly just win a championship. And I think we need to not assume that they're aiming for playoff runs. I think they're aiming for championship runs. And we also talked about that too. All of their major guys are locked in for at least four years right now. So the next four years are about all or nothing. And when you finally are ready to make that play when you've got the winning hand, you put all your chips in the center of the table. And that's what they did. So, no, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for, for people who listen often, you'll know that Adam is kind of our resident on the ground uh, person out of the two of us because he's actually in Cleveland. And... I'm not surprised by that sentiment a little bit just because I know that Colin Sexton was beloved in the area by some folks uh, in Cleveland. And I also understand the sentiment of trading a lot of picks because people always they always constitute that or, or see that as, oh, you're giving up talent. You're giving up this unknown, this mystery box. Well, really to see if we won this trade none of those picks will matter to us because we will hopefully be competing for eastern conference championships we will hopefully be you know putting up other banners uh that are championship banners for the squad so the picks will go to utah or some other team and those players could be super talented but hopefully they won't really that talent wouldn't matter on our squad because our squad will be one of the most 
deep and talented rosters in the league because they'll also in four years Evan Mobley won't even be 26 so they have a really bright future thank you for listening to the Cavaliers Basketball Club podcast let's go Cavs